Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the WGA strike as well as the SAG-AFTRA strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Also, please check out SAGAFTRA.org for additional resources. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi. And I'm Eric Toms, the producer of the Making Movies is Hard podcast. I'm an actor, writer, filmmaker whose first feature film, Bakersfield Noir, will be out this year. This week, are welcoming husband and wife writing directing team Ryan Dickey and Abby Horton onto the show to talk about their feature film, Blow Up My Life who Ulrich and I interviewed at the Austin Film Festival last October. But unfortunately, the file got corrupted. So we are talking to them again right now. But a big shout out to the AFF for supporting this and making this episode happen. After that, we play another round of You're the Expert. But first, Ulrich, how you doing, man? Good. This is the first time I've recorded anything for the podcast in months and months and months. Feels like forever. (laughs) I have a new baby that I am rocking gently with my foot right now. And one of these really awesome little rockers. He Mm -hmm. is sleeping. His name is Benoit. You would say bonjour if he was uh, (laughs) here. But he can't speak. He's just a baby. Yeah, no, life's been good, man. I kind of feel like I uh, was in a beautiful dream where I didn't have to work and all I had to do was take care of my beautiful children and play with them all day. And now that dream is over and I'm back into the reality (laughs) of having to work for a living like everyone else. Although my first day and a half back at work has been pretty good. It's been pretty chill. This project is, I don't know, it's interesting. It seems like it's like going to be really like a smooth ride, but then I keep on hearing that the client is challenging, I guess. Oh. So I'm, I'm a little nervous for our first client call. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be great. You know, people get all, you know, I feel like at this point in the process, I, I get to come in at the end, right? I'm in the post post team. So like all the shoots are happened, like all the preps happened, like everything that's gone right or wrong has happened. And now it's like, okay, we're like in the smooth sailing spot. So usually by this time, it's like, it's easy to like, just like kind of like, you know, be really pleasant and just like, you know, very clear and like make, make all their dreams happen with a beautiful edit, you know? So fingers crossed it'll work that way. But yeah, I I should also say that a short film I co-directed back in 2019, many, many moons ago is finally come out on Vimeo uh, last week. It's called Parka. It was a, a film shortage daily pick and it's out now for people to see. So uh, head over to Vimeo.com and then just type in Parka Ulrich or Parka Marcella. That's my co-director. You'll find it right away. Or I'll, I'll definitely put a link in the show notes, too, so you guys can, can find it. I watched it. I can I can affirm it is absolutely beautiful uh, oh. and really well done. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Yeah, it's a, it's a really weird movie, <laughs> you know, which I like. I, it was it was funny that like Marcella wrote this movie that I immediately was like really interested in making, and then she invited me to co-direct it with her. And it's like a, it's like half like an ode to like 1930s, 40s comedies and musicals, and then the other half is like a horror creature feature. <laughs> so it's kind of like got two completely different genres that we mix match together which I thought was really, really cool. I love genre mashups. And yeah, it's fun to finally have people, you know, see it, you know, all over the world. I mean, we we played like 16 film festivals, but all during the pandemic. So like I didn't get to go anywhere or like be a part of any festivals or see it with audiences. So yeah, I'm excited that people are finally getting to see it. You know, it's cool. That's great. Yeah. You had some amazing locations in there. The hotel that you guys shot at was absolutely beautiful, man. So well done. the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco, iconic, famous landmark, you know, which we got for a song, which was amazing that we got such a good deal on it. You know, but that was all Marcella's work. Basically, I was like, hey, Marcella, this is your first short film that you're ever directing. Like, let's try to get the best location possible. And I was like, well, she was like, where would you shoot? I'd be like, the Fair- I was like, the Fairmont Hotel. And she's like, OK. I was like, well, you want to give them a call? She's like, sure. And so she called them and she like negotiated the whole thing. And it was like, man. Amazing. Marcella's really great, though. She's really, she's good at, good at getting locations because she worked on the alternate, too, and helped with some, some of our locations for that as well. But, yeah, how you been, man? I haven't talked to you in weeks and weeks. What have you been up to? 
I am in a pretty nostalgic place right now because I also have children, but my children are big children now, and my son <laughs> is in the eighth grade. He's 13. So the committee for the yearbook sent out emails to all the parents and said, hey, send us pictures, send us baby pictures. So when your eighth graders are done at the end of the year, you can be like, oh, look, this is, you know, this is what Nicholas looked like when he was a baby. So I spent, well, I think what, what we all have right now, which is just one hard drive that's filled with 10,000 photographs. Wow. And so I just clicked through all of those. And so I spent uh, probably about two hours this morning just looking at baby photos. And of course, as a dad, it just makes you feel soft and squishy because now my kid is nearly as big as me he's just a monstrously huge and he's not soft and squishy anymore he's very lean whenever he takes his shirt off i'm always like oh my god look at you because he's just you can see his abs and you can see his muscles wow. and everything like, oh my lord you're you're a, you're a man you're like a man size and so to see him you know with like a, a you know like a silly hat on you know and he's just got like sticking his belly out like oh my goodness it just makes me makes me squishy oh man but also we are recording this in september so it's pumpkin spice latte season and oh man i do not care how many people call me basic you can say it all day you all, go ahead go ahead all day long and i'll just say wait what gulp 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 because it's goddamn delicious i love them and they're incredible i i, I go for like I, I'm not a Starbucks person at all, but like I'll go for the eggnog or the peppermint one. Just yeah. one one a season just because whatever, you know, like usually on a road trip. But yeah, that's funny that you're like, it's time. But as many of these pumpkin lattes. Yeah, like, as many as like, and not, not only that, but then I also because like I, I can't get Starbucks every day. Like that's just irresponsible financially. Oh, but mm -hmm. I'll get the pumpkin spice creamer for my coffee that I make every morning. And then I'll just put it in there. And it's oh, it's the best thing in the world. And then, of course, like when we get to around December time is when they discontinue those. And so I'll just buy like seven of them. So then that way I can keep the love going all the way, maybe till February. And oh, my God. That's what keeps me warm in here during those <laughs> during those dark, cold nights here in Southern California where it dips down to 60. But no, things are going really well. I also I act as well. And so there is a fantastic organization. If you're in Southern California and you're an actor or you're a writer, there's a thing called Second Draft, which is a free organization. It's a cold reading night where writers can bring up to 10 pages and then they will cast it right there. There's just like a cadre of actors and then they'll cast it and then they'll do a cold reading. And it's a fantastic organization, good group of people. And then also I've just joined the Beverly Hills Playhouse and uh, I've only been there a couple of weeks and I'm doing my first scene tonight and I'm a little oh, nervous. Um, they'll do great. I think it's going to be. Thanks, buddy. Uh, but yeah, things are going really well. And then the film, Bakersfield Noir, I just talked to our sound mixer. He is on kind of like the last legs. So we've got that. And then we have the title sequence and credits. And then we're done. We're, we wow. have a product. And then we got to figure out how do we get that product out into the world. Are you going to you're going to release it before December, before January? I mean, it'll be done before December and January. But as far as release goes, I'm not too, like I. this is a conversation we've had many times on the show, but mostly between you and Liz, because Liz is the queen of, of distribution. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to get it out there. And streamers, I, I really do fear, like I, I've mentioned this on the show before, I made this movie for $1,000. So I'm very proud of it. We really pulled something out. Having said that, it looks like a $1,000 movie. And if you were to put it on a streamer, it feels a bit like throwing water into the ocean. Like, how are you mm. gonna find it? There's just, there's so much content mm -hmm. out there. And so I've played around with the idea of taking it on tour and you know, finding select spots and then advertising in that city and then showing up, you know, kind of the way that like Roger Corman may have back in the day or John Waters did with Pink Flamingos or, or Romero did with Night of the Living Dead, you know, like make an event out of it, like have a band play and then show the movie and charge people like five bucks to get in or something, you know, yeah. try and make it a make it a night. So that I think that like might fun. be, yeah. And then I, I'll probably say, Submit to some film festivals, but I don't. I don't expect very much. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I'd love to hear what you end up deciding to do and how you end up approaching it. I feel like any movie <laughs> is like throwing water into the ocean. You know, it's not just yours. <laughs> it's it's all movies. I felt like that with my movie. I kind of feel like that with like even movies with actors and stars in them. There, there's just yeah. so much content now. It's like really hard for things to get seen and for them to be noticed and stuff. 
Dude, you know? there are so many times somebody will recommend a movie to me and I will look it up and it's got big names. It's on a major platform. It was released last year. I never even heard about it. And so it's like, what? Yeah. Oh, okay. When did when, when did this happen? So yeah. uh, it's just hard to find that kind of support either for mainstream movies or for indie films. And, yeah. and speaking of support, if you want to support us, head on over to our patron, which is patreon.com forward slash MMIH podcast. You can go ahead and donate as little as $2 a month and get our entire back episode, which at this point has, what, 325 episodes on there? Is that right? Something like that. It's a lot. <laughs> Good Lord, we have so much. And that's just $2 a month. That's not too bad. Although you can give plenty more. You can give $100 a month. You can give $10 a month. You can give whatever you want. We really appreciate it. All of the money goes directly to the show and our editor, Shout out Jeff. What up, Jeff Ramoot? And also, don't forget to check us out on Jambox.io, which is a new royalty-free music and sound effects company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, or global brands like DJI. They even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is, let's be honest, pretty awesome. And without any more delay, here's our chat with Abby Horton, Ryan Dickey. Welcome to the show, Ryan Dickey and Abigail Horton. Welcome, guys. So I don't know if you both want to do it together or one wants to take it, but can you give us the elevator pitch for Blow Up My Life? Blow Up My Life is a comedy thriller about a reluctant opioid whistleblower on the run. And about how many days did you shoot? Principal photography was 18 days, and then we probably had four or five days of pickup shoots after that. Like light. Very light. Light pickups. Yeah. yeah. What was the rough budget of the feature? We made it. It was a ultra low budget SAG, and we made it for under two hundred thousand, including our distribution budget as well. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And I remember from the last time we talked. The, now, correct me if I'm wrong. This was. Did this come about, or did this idea come about because of COVID and because of the kind of constraints that you had during that time during the lockdown, or was this an idea that you had before? This was an idea that I had before. I kind of started writing it. 2016, 2017, and had made sort of a, an outline of the story and had thought about Jason Selvig as the lead from the very beginning and was thinking about it more on an international scale, maybe like four or five movies down the line when, you know, I had $50 million. <laughs> so, you know, dreaming big and, you know, made some progress enough that I felt like, okay, I'll put that kind of on the back burner and concentrate on something more practical. So both Abby and I were working on other individual projects. And then when the pandemic happened, we were living in New York and decided to go stay with Abby's family who lives in Connecticut and just to see how, you know, things might blow over for, you know, the next couple of weeks. But a month or two later, we thought, OK, well, <laughs> time for a change, um, time to do something radical. So we thought, what if we moved out of our place in Brooklyn and put everything in storage and went totally all in trying to make a feature? And so we started looking at some ideas to go with. And this this film seemed so impossible, you know, to film at a, at a scale like that, that we started to think, well, you know, could it be possible if we kind of shrunk the scope down to a more suburban scale, we kept the same characters, the same story, but, you know, really distilled it down to our resources at the time. And then Abby and I started to kind of go back to the, you know, the core of the script and rewrite it together and took it from there. Awesome. So I have a two part question. So like, how long do you spend working on the film from like when you first had that idea to its release? And then secondly, like from when you decided to make the feature to the release. So that's like two different questions. You kind of started working on the idea maybe six years ago. Yeah. And then we decided to start writing it together probably in May of 2020 um, and gave ourselves, someone had told us once that you need six weeks to prep a feature. So we said, all right, we will hold that time. <laughs> and we knew that we had to stop, you know, because of COVID, we really wanted to shoot outside because of Connecticut weather. We knew we had to kind of be done before November. 
So we said, all right, we got to be done shooting this film by the end of October. All right, work back from that. Script's got to be done by about the end of August. So we kind of just gave ourselves that time to write the script and said, okay, if we have a script that we love by kind of our deadline, like we're going to do this. And so we kind of hit those deadlines and just kept like barreling ahead. So yeah, we wrote the script probably in about three months, prepped it in six, shot it in three weeks. And then here we are wow. two years later. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, you two are married. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did your process change when you decided to direct as a team? Or did one person take, like, look, I'm going to focus on these scenes while you'll focus on these scenes? Or, you know, like, Ryan, you're stronger when it comes to this. Or, Abby, you're stronger when it comes to that. What was your process in, in co-directing the film? Well, we, we've co-directed before. That and was we, helpful. That was helpful. <laughs> so we, we've, and we met working on set on a feature initially. So we have this process sort of in our DNA sort of to begin with. But we, you know, when it came to this script, one of us would kind of take a pass and then give it to the other person and they'd mark it all up and change a bunch of stuff and then give it back. And then they do the same. And then eventually we'd kind of actually sit together and comb through through mm-hmm. every word and, and make it right. And then, you know, we we get on set, it would be, you know, like takes that we thought that, you know, let's get the take that we both can visualize. And then maybe one of us can see it another way. So we'll get that take. And then the other one can see it the other way and we'll get that mm-hmm. take. And then sort of decide in post what really works best in context for each scene. And Ryan also was the cinematographer on the film, which kind of, you know, adds another layer of <laughs> complexity. But a lot of times Ryan would be, you know, he's the one maybe really seeing what's going on behind the camera and I'm a little closer to the actors. And so sometimes it's just about what's most convenient in the moment, I think on set. Um, But there's always that like glance back to each other and like those looks that you give each other of like, I need another one. We need to chat. We're good to move on. You know, you can really start to get that language going pretty quickly. So I think it went pretty smoothly. Yeah, certainly. I think because also we we did write it together together and then we produced it together. So a lot of working out the creative had been done way before we got on set. So we weren't sure. We were very rarely ever, if ever, really actually like figuring out, oh my God, oh my God, what do we do now? Or like, what is the meaning of this scene? Or like, what tone are we trying to shoot for? We had kind of like solidified yeah. that sort of stuff like long beforehand. So you mentioned you made a short film together as co-directors. Why did you guys decide to co-direct? Was it just something that you felt like you wanted to do creatively? Was it out of necessity or was it like, like what, what started that whole conversation in the first place? And then... How did that lead to the feature? Was it just because it was convenient or was it because though you you had found something you really liked as short in the short film that you decided you want to explore creatively together, you know, as artists making this feature? I think there's something about the convenience. Yeah, it's having, a little bit of both. <laughs> yes. Having like, I mean, if you're going to collaborate with someone in filmmaking, you have to like trust them so much. And you guys, I think it's a lot about how you both communicate. Yes. Can you argue without getting in a fight, you know? Yeah, and problem solve without, you know, letting egos or emotions like get the best of it. And I think we we learned how to do that, you know, from the very, again, we met on set. So that was something mm. that we had established from the very, very beginning. And then when it came, and then we didn't direct anything together until years after we had worked on set that, that one time. So we did that. We, you know, we had an idea that we just both loved and we felt like we were both contributing great things to it. So we thought like, okay, let's just like, we both also just love directing. And sometimes I think if we both love an idea too, it's like, no, I want to do it too. Yeah. (laughs) I like this too. And I think particularly for the future, we couldn't, neither of us couldn't have like, I think emotionally done this through COVID without just the, like, we're both all in a hundred percent and having like, like our whole selves invested in it. So I think particularly making this feature during COVID, like it had, we had to do it together. And the, the production as a whole was so small and it's, you know, for the most part, Abby and I, you know, doing it and, and certainly impossible for either of us to have done it alone. Like it takes a village, it takes a team to do this stuff. Of course. So the fact that we're so <laughs> close and uh, we have our daily life, you know, this is the filmmaking, feature filmmaking, filmmaking in general, certainly a lifestyle choice, just as yeah. much of a career as a career choice. So, you know, the fact that we're already kind of like living it together makes sense logistically too. 
And to kind of to piggyback off that, first off, I wanted to mention that you two met on the set of the movie Blue Ruin, which I absolutely love that film. I think it's an incredible film. Hell yeah. But please take a second and talk about you. Of course, like you made this movie during the lockdown. And this is, if I remember correctly, it was fairly early on in the lockdown. So yeah. it was very much the Wild West. We didn't have a lot of information about COVID. Uh, everyone yeah. was just being very, very nervous and like washing their groceries. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what you had to do during those very extreme circumstances in order to to get this movie off the ground? Yeah, it definitely shaped like absolutely everything that we did. Yeah, we, you know, we could not afford to have anyone get sick, you know, God forbid, of course. Yeah, um, but no, also no if, anyone, safety net. if anyone did like we our whole movie would just like be over. Yeah, so it'd be a short film. Yeah. <laughs> So we made sure that everyone quarantined beforehand and then we kind of potted up during the shoot. Uh, you know, there's really no extras or anything like that in our film. But it shaped the script in that because we had to quarantine the actors, we could only afford to have a certain amount of them touch. So we can only like three of the actors ever touch in the film. So all the scenes have to be kind of rewritten for that. Where are we going to place these scenes? How are they going to meet up later? And so that really, really, you know, affected how we structured the screenplay as well as we, you know, because we were potting too, we only had nine people in our crew. That was the amount of people we could afford to quarantine and then keep all together. So, you know, we whittled it down and like our lighting package had four lights because we only had two G&E people, you know, like all that stuff. We knew that that was going to be our our shooting scenario. So how do you work backwards to make sure that what we're writing is accomplishing the goals of the story, but also making sure that like we can actually pull this off with what we know is coming up. So it shaped everything. But I think in the end, it, it made us re really, really whittle down what was the most important parts of the story. You know, who do we really need to see on screen at any given time? And, can, and I think it had us come up with some like clever little solves for it too, you know, which you hope, <laughs> you hope happens. So yeah, it really did shape everything. And it was terrifying, but also wonderful to have people together doing something that we all love. Yeah, and that time too, everyone else was not working. So we were able to work with, you know, our closest, you know, crew collaborators and all of the actors that we are first pick actors, you know, because not everyone was available to do stuff and looking for, you know, an escape from New York City life during the lockdown life during that time and come out, you know, to the suburbs, to the nature and, you know, and enjoy. And we were all just kind of in these two houses living together for, you know, three weeks. And it was like summer camp type vibes. And, you know, by the end at the rap party, I mean, everyone just went ballistic because, you know, we had all like been so held up, you know, not, you know, like being able to really hug and high five. But, you know, that last night we all just like really celebrated and it was beautiful. So, you know, prepping a movie in six weeks or, or having, is, is a very challenging thing to do. But the thing that I always have the, the biggest time, biggest challenge with when making my movies is fundraising. So mm. how did you guys manage to not only prep a movie in that amount of short time, but also raise the funds to make the movie in that amount of time as well? We put in some of our own funds to it. We had some family members donate. We had some private investors. It wasn't a big shooting production. We raised the rest of the money after we shot. Yeah. So we, you know, we tried to make a really small movie, you know, financially something that we could actually fundraise for and make and then had faith that the rest would come <laughs> during post. <laughs> and it did. And, you know, we, we have what we need. And, you know, it's it's a great experience going through this from start to finish and, and showing ourselves that we can, you know, you can do it and you don't need, you know, $10 million to make a film. Yeah. I mean, we essentially put each individually put in what we would for a short film, let's say, but with those funds combined, that was a significant enough chunk to magnetize a little bit more and then that chunk got a little bit bigger and so that that momentum aspect of the fundraising i think is you know is just For sure. major major yeah. do, do you mind if i ask how much were you in production how much did you have for production and then how much were you getting when you went into post 
I think we shot with 90,000 and then we, we doubled that for our post and distribution budget. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Nice. Now we, of course, we met you at the Austin Film Festival. You guys premiered there. That is the gold standard for so many independent filmmakers and even, you know, studio films as well. It's, it's an enormous festival. Congratulations on that. Thank you. you. How, how did the rest of your festival run go? How, How was that experience for you? It was great. We went on from Austin to Kukaloris festival in Wilmington, North Carolina. And that's, that's just an absolutely wonderful fest. Great, you know, filmmaker like revelry <laughs> time really got to meet some awesome other filmmakers and they showed so many great films. So that was very fun. And then we had our New York premiere at the Harlem International Film Festival. We won best film, which was a hey. huge, major, crazy honor. We were very happy about that. And then we screened virtually at Chattanooga uh, Film Festival after that. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And then what was the sort of response from distribu- d- distributors? Like, did you have any offers? Did you have any kind of like approaches? And then how did you manage that? Like, what was your reaction to like any of the offers you may or may not have gotten? Yeah. How do we want to talk about we got, we got, <laughs> Yeah, we got some offers after Austin and... And then, you know, the, the months following and it was super interesting. The offers were, you know, not good or appealing. And <laughs> at the same here, time, here, here, I, I really want to press you. Can you just you don't have to say who made offers or what or anything, but like, can you give the numbers of what was offered to you? Because I think like for people to understand like what those oh, numbers sure. are, I think that'll be really helpful. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, so we got offers of mm, no money, but let's work together to put your movie out. We got, oh, here's $5,000, but also you're probably going to owe us 12000 in deliverables. Or here's ten, but actually we're going to charge you interest on it. And who knows when you'll ever make it back. And no, no, despite what everyone tells you, this is normal contract stuff, which is total <laughs> straight up scam. So lots of just really like, wait. And then a lot of stuff where you're just like, I just don't understand what you're doing that I couldn't do myself. So that's, that's kind of what we're feeling. And we, we spent a long time trying to figure out what distribution is, because I think if you haven't gotten to that stage yet, it's very hard to understand. And there's also very little information available about it. That makes it very clear for filmmakers to understand what they're getting into. I think that's on purpose. Yes. Distribution companies would love to hide all of the line items they're charging you for and are collecting on before you get paid in the waterfall. So Mm -hmm. on top of 30% off the top of every dollar. Yeah. Right. Twenty years. This so, this is one of the reasons why we're so thankful you guys are being so transparent about this because this is one of the real pushes of our podcast is to get like yeah. like inform independent filmmakers like look yes. this is what you're up against. Yes, and, and and these were big you know bigish companies and we got you know six seven offers so it wasn't just kind of like a one little thing. So we were talking with a lot of people as we we're doing all this research trying to understand it because I just think we you know this was DIY punk rock from the beginning and we just felt. Some Something in our souls, we're just feeling wrong about handing something over when we had figured it out the whole way up until now. And so we kept trying to figure it out and understand what was happening. Talking to so many other people, people who had either gone with distributors or done the self-distribution route. And it did feel like there was this like small revolution going on amongst indie filmmakers to be like, wait, we've already like, like we said, kind of solved this puzzle, learned so much, done so much on our own up to this point. Like, can we just go for a few more months and, and put the movie out ourselves? And so we kind of decided to take the dive and go for it and are working with this incredible distribution producer named Carly Ryko, who we would recommend to everyone. And it, it is so important to have like a little team with you that, yes. you know, you can really help to stay on target and get all your stuff together. And I mean, it's been mind blowing, like just in learning what, what is marketing? God, had no idea. Now I know. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. What is exhibition? Yeah. What, it, what are all, who are sort of the players in this landscape? And there are so many and which ones are actually legit and which ones are, again, like scammers, you know, and are just putting up little oasis type <laughs> mirages for you to be like oh yeah maybe on the other side of this i will get paid or like oh they're promising a whole lot and they seem really nice but then when we get to <laughs> nitty-gritty of the contract it's you're like, just like what the fuck what 
So I don't know. We hope that, you know, it's gone well. We just had our premiere at Nighthawk uh, in Williamsburg on Monday that we sold out. That was a blast. We're going out to LA for screenings at American Cinematheque and Lemley Theaters. And then we've booked AMC Theaters starting with Times Square on September 27th. And then we're expanding to like eight more cities on October 6th. So, I mean, it's gone even better than we could have imagined. And we just feel like we hope that we can, we can talk about this more and like, save other filmmakers like months of googling (laughs) we did for months just like looking up terms and other people's case studies and trying so hard to find out what is distribution what is going on here making endless spreadsheets yeah and like i don't know it's just such an interesting like obviously we all just want to get out and make the next film but this is a major part of filmmaking and so we feel we feel happy that we we took this route yeah yeah Sure. Well, let me ask you a quick question then, because I feel like a lot of independent filmmakers, you script together, you you make your film, you get through post, and then the path is always the same way. Like, oh, I'm going to get to all of these film festivals. I'm going to get to the big ones. And then then I'll find the distributors and then I'll go ahead and be able to pay back my investors or, you know, pay myself back, whatever Mm -hmm. it happens to be. Mm -hmm. So at this point, and certainly not to throw any shade on any of the film festivals, they're all fantastic. And they Mm -hmm. they did a great job screening, getting you guys out there. But do you think now in retrospect, Do you think you needed to go to the film festivals in order to get to the place where you're at now? I think it's definitely helpful. You know, like so much of this, you're kind of trying to build like a snowball of clout and coolness as you know, from the, as you start and to where you end up, you try to just make your snowball bigger and bigger and like catch more people on the way. And so, you know, I think this industry too is about having that second party, like giving you the thumbs up, pointing at you and being like, you guys are cool and good. Everyone else should think that too. And like, you do need those handful of people or institutions or festivals to say like, no, 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 this is good. Someone else should also look at this. So I think premiering at Austin, winning Best Film at um, Harlem was definitely huge boosts. You know, we ended up doing the marketing and distribution and promotion ourselves, but we could use that to contact theaters, you know, to, to tell audiences, Hey, like this film has done some cool stuff already. Come check it out. And because we don't have a huge PR budget for, uh, and for us as, you know, first time feature filmmakers, we, us being there at those festival screenings and meeting people that want to talk about the film and that have become fans and hearing their feedback, you know, is not only gratifying to us, but then, you know, it helps. Help spread the word. Spread the word yeah. from that ground level. And I think that's like what, what we have to work with. And I think what we want to work with right now and find out who our audience is and, you know, who wants to see this and who, you know, where we should take it from there. So I think it was very important in that way, for sure. So now that you're doing your, your self-distribution, what is your overall plan? Like, I know you're doing a theatrical as part of it, but like, t- talk to us about your approach. If you, Are you doing TVOD? Are you doing AVOD? Are you doing theatrical first, then Tiva? Like, I want to hear the whole, all the details. Sure. Yeah. So it's theatrical, limited theatrical tour. We'll have these two weeks at AMC. Maybe we'll have a, a few more limited engagements, you know, certain cities. And then we have a VOD starting on November 14th. And we're going to do like a month of pre-order, pre-sales before that. We've gone um, through a digital aggregator to set that up yeah. for Apple and Amazon marketplaces. And then after that, we'll try to, so, I mean, honestly, also depending on the strike and how everything's yes. going, look for a SVOD deal potentially. And then after that, mm. go for the VOD. So that's kind of the order we're thinking of it all in. And we're, we actually had been planning on doing like our theatrical and VOD release at the same time. But as we kind of started to pick up momentum with theatrical, we end up pushing it um, to November, which I think was a really great idea. And, and we're really using this theatrical um, run to, you know, get the word out, get, you yeah. know, trying to get some word of mouth buzz um, before we go out on VOD. I think it's a good push. Otherwise, maybe you just kind of get lost in the digital space. So we're happy to have these in-person events. Certainly. Um, and out of curiosity too, are, are you doing any physical? Is there any DVD, Blu-ray, VHS, yeah. anything like that? Yeah, we have been looking into that. There's there's the physical copy stuff. And then there is also, you know, airline and, and cruise sales and things like that. And we're we're in discussion about that sort of stuff now. So that'll, that'll likely come after VOD. Uh, maybe the beginning of next year would be really sweet. Very cool. Yeah. Nice. And then for the theatrical, are you just splitting the ticket sales with the theater or how is that deal set up? They 
are rev shares. Every theater has a different terms that they do. Sometimes it's like, okay, the theater needs to make back a certain amount and then we get a percentage or it's just a straight percentage. So, but it's all rev share. Yeah. And they've been very generous and really wanted to work with us. And all these theaters are really wanting to, you know, like promote independent film and take on films like ours that you know, are deviant from like the sort of <laughs> big uh, tent poles, tent poles that are, you know, obviously there are no shade to Barbie and Oppenheimer, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to ask now, Ryan, uh, to, to deviate a little bit from from your film here, but Ryan, you recently directed a series for Adult Swim. Can you can you talk about that process at all? Because that's that's also that's all animation uh, and that's television. So, what was that process, and how was it so much different than you know shooting a feature with uh, with Abby? Yeah, that that was a great couple projects I did with uh, my buddy Mike Anderson, who's out in Portland, Oregon, and we've been working together in animation stuff since around 2015 or so doing music videos and commercials and then eventually kind of worked our way to yeah doing this short series for adult swim called hot future and it's very fun and crazy kind of a mad max uh, meets step up dance revolution anime ridiculous fest and it's on YouTube right now. But that process is really fun working in Unreal Engine where there are no limitations to the point of danger. You know, in the way that like physical production, you know, you have to capture lightning in a bottle and it's all about getting people in a room together. And then the magic sort of occurs in the Unreal space. Every detail can be tinkered and augmented to infinity. And it's a whole other way of working and it's really fun. And I think it's like each one has their, you know, their merits in terms of storytelling and some stories that would work great in live action would not work in animation vice versa. So, you know, we have a lot of fun with our process because we do motion capture with, you know, different performers and then incorporate that motion capture into the animation. So there still is a human element to it that we love and we still get to direct people on you know on set on the mocap stage and that's really fun but then we can twist it and warp it a million different ways for months on end after that so it's uh it's a really fun process too but again like a 180 from physical production but even in in unreal because almost because there are no limits to what you can do you you have to make boundaries for yourself otherwise you're going to be tweaking the color of that cactus for like three years or more (laughs) you know and did directing that show for adult swim that in any way like help your directing career like are you getting did you give you open up more doors and open up opportunities for you or is it kind of like a one-off and now like you're kind of focusing more on narrative or is it kind of a mix or well we actually started production on that really even started you know we essentially the week after we wrapped blow my life that's when we got kind of the thumbs up from adult swim to start on it so that all kind of wrapped up. We, we basically oh, wow. delivered that end of last year, September of last year. So it's it was a great learning experience for me. I mean, I haven't no one's knocking on my door yet to make the next <laughs> thing in that way yet. But who knows where the you know, who will see it, who will love it. But no, nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that you've kind of, you've kind of wrapped up, I have a couple of questions that are weird. Now that you've kind of wrapped up, <laughs> blow up my life. Do you? I'm sure you want you want to take a break a little bit. You're dealing with all the distribution, but is there a, you know a whiteboard someplace that maybe has a couple of ideas for like the next one? Or did this Literally. completely turn? Oh, it's right over there. Okay, cool. <laughs> they are pointing off screen to uh, to the, the, the next one that they're going to be working on. Uh, that's fantastic that it didn't burden you guys out and you're like all right we're done we did the one i think like it gave us even more excitement yes i think before i we made our first feature it was so unknown and that was terrifying and i think this whole like covid pressure timeline to make it was like one of the only reasons it got done when it did and that we've now made a movie is because it was like this pressure cooker of like make a movie now go and so i feel like we've stripped back so much of the mystery 
that comes with like, how the hell do you get this many people in these locations for this amount of time? And how do you put out a movie? So I think I feel a lot more excited even about the next one. And I, I, mean, I really do think doing this distribution work has allowed me to see the process from like absolutely the beginning to the end. So I can really think about how to approach the next one in a more like comprehensive way. Yeah, I think before we felt like we needed to be given permission to make a movie. Sure. And now we know how to take it all the way. And so that, yes, again, is just extremely liberating to feel that. Um, feel- that we can make the momentum ourselves that it doesn't have the it doesn't have to pass yeah you know qc from somebody to like creatively being you know given the, the thumbs up and i'll just say i feel like this movie having done it it does show me that we can have a lifetime of making movies yes mm-hmm. like no matter what how big or small or weird or like out there your film is you can just keep making them and that's just kind of a real comfort because i think before you start you're kind of like oh fuck i don't know if this dream i have will ever come true and now it feels kind of just like a practical i can go through these motions again you know and that's our our goal is just to spend a lifetime making art yes even if you're supplementing that with like 20 other jobs a year whatever (laughs) yeah you know i just want to have a lifetime of making movies so i think i feel like it's a little bit more possible now which i'm i'm (laughs) helps me sleep better at night and so for the second one, the next one, are you guys going to co-direct again? Is that the plan? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this was the last time. <laughs> never again. Hashtag never again. No, definitely not true. We, we would, but I think we, we will. Excited too. Okay. Because when you are collaborating, you lose half of your, half of your ideas die. That's just how it is. Sure. And like you, half you must them, accept that. And that's fine. Yes. You're going to make something that isn't hundred percent you. It's 50% <laughs> of you. That's great. And the sum, you know, then becomes greater than the whole, you know, the whole becomes greater than some of We're also colors. both so like, I think we all, we each both like pretty different stuff as well. And so it's fun to have that. I think when we did our shorts, we did a few together and then went off and made really personal stuff. So I think it's kind of say, okay, we, we accomplished this, this goal together. And now we want to go and like really get weird in our own little topics of interest. So I'm sure our interests on a story will converge again soon. And, you know, it'll motivate us to like, you'll do something. I'm like, that's so good. Please. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do do you anticipate? Oh, sorry, Eric. I gotta, I gotta keep, I got another question lined up. Go for it. Go for it, man. Do, do, Do you feel like, you will work on each other's features like one will produce for the other or is it going to be completely separate and then the big thing i want to know is like about fundraising because like doing it once is one thing but then doing it over and over again is the challenge so i'm just wondering like what is your approach for fundraising for the next one? It's just, yeah. that's a, uh, yeah. that, it'll just happen. Yeah. It'll just, <laughs> the, fun, the money fuss it's going to turn on when sure. this movie's uh, complete. So it's just going to be self-perpetuating. <laughs> so I'm not even thinking about it. Sometimes um, you just find $100,000 in between the couch cushions. So yeah, yeah that, that could totally be it. Get out the flashlight, really get in there. But no, to answer your first question, I think we will always work on each other's films in some capacity, whether yeah. it's larger or small. Again, it's that kind of convenience thing of just like, you're right here, so you're going to end up helping me so much. I might as well give you a credit in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, the fundraising. I don't know. I think we're both interested to kind of experiment and try doing a film that is bigger, go through the kind of more industry standard methods as an experiment while also working on just a small piece to hopefully have, you know, both hands uh, going at the same time, because we do know that that more like, okay, I'm going to raise more money. I'm going to get a bigger cash cast attached does take a little bit longer. Or, so, could, or it could never happen at all. You sure. should be waiting in limbo forever to get that big name talent that gets you, you know, a yeah. million dollars to make your thing. But in the meantime, you could be making something in your backyard for 10 grand and you'd have a movie. Maybe it won't be like, you know, a commercial success or whatever, but you've made a film. You haven't spent five years waiting, waiting for the yeah. phone. to yeah. raise. So that's kind of the place we're at now. We sort of have, yeah, something brewing in the more like classical talent route, <laughs> talent attachment route, and then something that's more along the eraser head production model, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, approach to things. Just want to keep nice. making stuff. So. Yeah, that's sure. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I am curious 
Unfortunately, this is coming out the day after your you have your American Cinematheque show here in Los Angeles. But I am curious. I'm a, I'm a member of American Cinematheque. I'm a huge fan of theirs. Uh, how did you get hooked up with them? We kind of reached out. Call. Yeah, straight. And that's oh, how wow. we've done all of this theatrical stuff has been reach outs. Reach outs. Some cold calls, some, you know, connections, connections you know, an introduction from mutual friends and things like that. So and even AMC. So it can be done. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily take some big check mark from somebody way up in a CEO suite to like <laughs> to get you, you know, through a door. It can, you know, just be a normal human to human interaction. All right. This sounds great. Alric, are you ready for the final six or do you have any more? No, not yet. I have a couple more. Okay. So All I, right. I want to hear a little bit about like your relationship as, as, as husband and wife and like how, like, was that affected at all through this process? Like, did it make you stronger as a couple? Like, and like, how do you, as artists and as a couple, like, how do you guys manage that and, and the different, yeah. cause like you're collaborators, which are also life partners. So like, that's like two very different type of relationships that are, I can imagine bleed yeah. into each other. So I just want to hear a little bit about how you guys figure that all out. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it has made us much strong, you know, not just much stronger, but, you know, eternally bonded because of having gone through this experience together, I think to try, you know, if we would have gone through it, let's say individually, not including one another, it would probably be very, very difficult to relate this experience mm. with someone else. You know, that would be, that would be really tough. So, and again, we met on set. So like all of that, understanding of what this lifestyle is like, you know, is very like, we've been living that for a long time now. So that in itself, I think has made us very strong and we've had to really, again, have boundaries to the work. There's never, there's never an end. There's never an end. You can always do a little more, you know, we <laughs> always send one more email at the end of the night, you know, to whatever, catch up or something. So at a certain point you have to say like, okay, this work stuff, this, this, giant cube of movie that's like clouding our vision and all as that's like get that move that out of here and let's like just be people together a couple together make time for romance the only thing that really matters in this world so <laughs> yeah and th then a follow-up question of that is like you're both excited to direct your own features as you know sole directors <laughs> how are you going to decide who goes first like if you're both going to work with each other, like how is, is it just whoever is further along who gets funding first or yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a race. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a parallel sprint, parallel marathon. I think, you know, we we're both going to run and just support each other along the way as yeah. it goes. And maybe we shoot films at the same time. Yeah. Maybe we will. Oh, who knows? Cool. So, I mean, again, it's so hard to say. It's like, yeah, this, this you can't really plan anything in some ways. Yeah. No, you really, I mean, you have to make moves every day towards, you know a goal that the bullseye is somewhere out there and you got you know but the you know the dart's probably going to weave a million times before it actually gets there and who knows how it will so we'll just sort of let that grow as it does going back a little bit ryan talking about you had so many you had so many constraints when you were shooting physical production and then in doing unreal engine you have no constraints is there somewhere in the next project that either of you do where maybe there's a, a melding of the two so it's like look we can't get this in real time but like we can go ahead and pop this into the computer and i'm confident we can make you know get this particular shot yes that is that is what i'm working on right now a little oh, great. What, my little backyard thing is <laughs> a, a bit of a hybrid and it's very exciting because tools like unreal make it even easier for a micro studio independent thing to reach a scope that, you know, definitely could not have even 15 years ago or something like that, you know, to be able to do landscape extensions, you know, to add, you know, all sorts of visual effects stuff and, and particle effects stuff for free, essentially, you know, can just add so much. And there's Many productions that have kind of paved the way for that, even things like Sin City, you know, mm -hmm. that did so much with so little. There's, there's, I think a lot of, I, I, I can definitely see a, a lot of potential in, in combining those elements for sure. So that's, that's one thing I'm definitely working on right now. So my last question, I promise, is 
about the distribution of, of, of blow my life. Like, what are your goals? Like coming out of the end of this distribution process, or like even just six months from now, when you like have your first quarter statements or whatever, like, what are you, what are you hoping for? Like, are you, is, is it the big amazing goal of recruitment or do you have other goals in mind besides that? Since that goal is such a <laughs> very challenging, unattainable goal for small movies, like your movie and my movie and, anyone's yeah. movies yeah. who are anyone, under 500,000. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely a goal. I think this, this yeah. kind of idea of trying to make movies our whole life, we do want to figure out how can you make your money back so that you can make the next movie. Um, so we are working towards that for sure. Also getting, you know, I think the theatrical aspect of it too, is just trying to get a lot of people to see it get a lot of people's eyes on it and help us, you know, be able to make that next film as well. But I, I don't know, the financial stuff is a real aspect of filmmaking. And, you know, we are trying to trying to make money off of the movie for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, connecting with, again, all of these exhibitors and things like that and getting to know this landscape mm -hmm. better and making these relationships that we can hold over through our next things, you know, and if we find our audience through this process, then we know where to take our next thing. And then the path is a little bit more clear. And that's, that's really exciting to think about as well, for sure. Yeah. Nice. All right, let's do the final, the final six. Let's you want do to it. The first one, Eric. Dun, dun, dun. What was the first film you ever made? And how do you feel about it now? This could be a student film. This could be a short, this could be a music video. This could be something you did in school forever ago. First film I made was called Timmy. And it was about a little kid who wanted to be a superhero. And it featured a ska soundtrack and my brother and our family friends. And it was honestly hilarious. <laughs> Highly recommend it for a watch, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you made that? I think I was like 13 or 14. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> no, it was like last year. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, <laughs> the ska soundtrack kind of gave it away that yeah. maybe this is a little bit older. That's <laughs> coming back. What do you mean? <laughs> for me, I guess... Yeah, I made some stuff in high school, like video class, I guess, on VHS back in the day. But the first thing that I really kind of made was right after college, I did a series of shorts called The Frenettes, vignettes about my friends. They're so funny. And there's 10 of them. <laughs> you can watch them online. And there's some are just one shot. Some are very elaborate. The last one, we blew up a car. Wow. And that was one of the best experiences of my life by far. <laughs> did you have permission from the car's owner or did you just go ahead and blow up something? So I bought a basically a dead car from a salvage yard and had them tow it out to the middle of this field. And then we like filled it up full of gasoline and lit it on fire. <laughs> but then the, <laughs> the smoke got so tall that the mayor of this small town in Georgia saw it from his house and then called the fire department as he should as he should and so our set got kind of invaded by all these people and they were so confused about what we were doing that they were just like okay don't do it again and then they left and we didn't get in any trouble and it's wow. a miracle <laughs> that we didn't get arrested <laughs> just real quick the uh, making movies is hard in no way uh, it condones no, no. setting cars on fire do not, please do not do, do not do did. that do not, not do that sense. really really cool thing okay that's all thanks guys when I said best thing in my life, I meant regrettable. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Mm. I think I said this one. <laughs> I think the best filmmaking advice I ever received was get out of college and make your first short film right away. Start making stuff quickly and keep making stuff to kind of create a filmmaking community and to kind of show your peers that you're very serious about directing and making films. So I tried to follow that advice and tried to make a short film as close to graduating as I could. I think it was really good advice. What is the worst filmmaking advice that you've ever gotten? Worst advice? Gosh, I mean, the amount of people... Uh, uh, sign this contract and no, don't worry about your lawyer looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> Or just like, the amount of people are just like, oh, no, 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 you can't do it like that. I mean, that's kind of like a cliche of like, don't yeah. let someone tell you no, but the, the, it's just crazy how many people just look at what you're doing and go, no, no, you can't do that. Yeah. So that's always bad filmmaking advice. 
telling someone they can't do it. Yes. There's always a way. There's always a way. Perseverance can get you yeah. all the way. Ryan, did you have a, a best advice that you want to give? No, I was just trying to write. I was just trying to think. I'm like every Q and A I've ever been to. Like, what, what was something good that was said? <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like blank. I mean, I, God, I don't even know. Come back to it. We'll come back to that. I, well, yeah, we'll come sure. back to you, you can skip it. Abby's was great. So, yeah, Abby's, I mean, <laughs> it's true. It's, I completely agree with that advice. <laughs> Do you have a goal as a filmmaker, both of you? I think to make, to make movies for Forever. the rest of my life, to, you know, to, to find a way to make it sustainable to live to do it and to work with my friends and you know people that I admire and hope to like you know enrich the people that I work with just as hopefully you know as much as like audiences that maybe like the work that I think in itself is a very ambitious goal (laughs) um but I think doable yeah same goal that's why we're married I guess yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice what would it be this could be for for filmmaking or this could just be for for your film that you just finished yeah I think something to the effect of like failure is part of the journey and rejection is a part of the journey because we you know during this process we've had you know what we i would consider i think both of us would consider this like the best thing we've ever made you know and we've been making stuff for you know 15 plus years and meanwhile we've never had more rejection ever in our career over (laughs) that we feel so proud of and you know the successes that we have had you know most recently with like amc and things like that feel really great because you know, we didn't just stop when someone said, eh, not for me. You know, you really have to just persist (laughs) and believe in it. And, you know, we never thought like necessarily that we would be where we are right now, but we did believe in the project enough that we knew that somehow it would connect with someone, with people. It was resonating with us. And therefore, like, there's got to be someone else out there that's going to feel it too and i think you know if you really if you really feel that about your story about your idea then like you just gotta go for it all the way nice i would say don't be precious about your first feature Mm, yeah i think it's possible that if it wasn't for this like covid pressure cooker i would still be like tweaking my other script and trying to raise money for something that was too big and you know your first film doesn't have to be this like oscar winning you know sundance winning whatever it's like kind of just start and go and you know you've got a lifetime to make movies yeah i mean the the hard part about directing is that you can only practice doing it when you're doing it Mm -hmm. on set so you just got to try and do it (laughs) as much as you can and um thinking about it is really hard um, when you just want to be doing it. So the more you can try and have agency over the production and, and moving it forward, the better. Nice. And last question is making movies hard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Totally. Totally. 100%. But also the best thing in life. Yes. Besides romance. (laughs) Oh, Oh, sweet. Uh, all right. Abby Horton, Ryan Dickey, where do we find you? How do people support you? What are your social medias? How do people give you money for projects? Where do you see your stuff? My Venmo is... Yes. <laughs> yeah, go to blowupmylife.com to find showtimes for our theater screenings that will extend through the week of October 6th, at least. So check that out. Find us in LA and and beyond. And then we'll be on VOD in November. So the website really has all the info and we're on Instagram at blowupmylife underscore movie. But we're going to keep creating places for you to see it. So stay tuned. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show.
Ulrich, what do you remember about our chat with Abby and Ryan? Well, I remember the one <laughs> from a year ago, which was great. <laughs> and, you know, we're about to talk to them again momentarily, and it's going to be really a fun conversation. But basically what I want to make sure we capture that we captured before was their discussion about how they, you know, work together as a husband and wife, because we've never had a husband and wife co-director team on the mm-hmm. show. And what they had to say about that was really interesting and really fascinating. And I really love to hear like how they both came to this movie as artists in their own right, you know, and directors in their own right. And then like kind of came together to, to make it. And then just like the other stuff that they have going on and like kind of what they see as their future as artists after this movie mm-hmm. and how like maybe they'll make another movie again uh, together again, but maybe they won't, you know, but you know, kind of it was a really interesting way to like see how two different directors made their first feature who are married, you know? Yeah. And it's it's a very cool conversation. I don't know. What about you? What what do you remember from our talk with them? I just remember they were very, very sweet people. And we, you know, when you go to something like the Austin Film Festival, it can be kind of tough. It's a little overwhelming. There's a lot of parties, but can you get into those parties? And they had theirs at a, just kind of like this really nice Mexican restaurant. And it was in the back patio and we got to go there and hang out and we, we had a wonderful time. And they were just, you could tell, they were just absolutely elated that they had finished the project, that it that it had gotten to the Austin, uh, and that they just got a chance to relax and kind of party. I also remember that this is a COVID movie that they shot during the lockdown, and that's why the vast majority of it is kind of like outdoors. They had real minimal cast, but it seemed like it was a real communal kind of push to make this film come to life. And a lot of the people were donating time. Everyone was being very careful because I think this was also before we had vaccines. It was before we kind of knew what COVID was. We just knew it was everyone should be scared and wear masks a lot and maybe just go outside. Don't go indoors with anybody. But they really just both came off as very, very sweet people who were very thankful for 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 this film being birthed into the world and all the people that helped them do it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it it was fun. I also remember their party was just a real blast and just getting to meet them in person and everything was cool because like we met them before we did the interview. So it was nice to have like a little pre chat with them before we actually sat down and everything. Although I haven't still haven't gotten a chance to see their movie, which is on my list of things to do. They they have a they have a couple of screenings coming up here in the Los Angeles area. So I'm very excited. I'm actually going to see it on Thursday. Oh, excellent. Awesome. You'll have to report back. Will do. But yes, the other thing that we need to do is, Eric, you have a question for the wonderful Ask the, You're the Expert. Ask the, it's not Ask the Expert. It's You're the Expert. It's You're the Expert. You're the Expert segment, which Eric invented, which is a section where he comes up with a question that he thinks Liz and I are the absolute experts in and that will have the definitive answer for this question. So, Eric, do you want to go ahead and ask me this question? Absolutely. Here's You're the Expert. I know that certain states offer tax incentives to filmmakers. How do I find who offers these incentives, Ulrich, and how can I use them? Well, Mr. Google or Mrs. Google, however you want to approach it, (laughs) can help. Basically, just type in tax film tax incentives in the state that you're hoping to shoot in, and you'll find out information. The thing that makes it tricky is they're usually connected to a dollar amount that you have to spend in that state, and it's usually a lot. It's something like... You know, no, no less than like six hundred thousand dollars at the lowest, but mo- mostly like a million. You know, like you have to be making like a pretty big movie to like qualify for these incentives, and then a lot of the times you have to apply. So like you not only like have to be spending a certain amount of money, you have to apply to see if you even get it. And certain states are easier to get it than others. Like in New Jersey, I think it's pretty easy to get it as long as you give them enough time. But then I think in other states like California is extremely hard to get the tax incentive for California. So I think it just depends on where you are and, and what and what state you're in. There are always like popular states for tax incentives and they're always changing. Like for a while, it was Kentucky was really hot for a tax incentive. I know Detroit was hot for a minute a long time ago up, up in Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, but like it, it just and, and then I think it's like it can also be as granular as city. So it can be like state and then it can be city, too. So, like, I think you need to, like, look at both to figure out, like, who's going to give you the best deal and the best return. But basically, like, Jeff, my producer on the alternate, he does this for a lot of his movies. So he shot one in New Jersey where it was like, I think it was a lot of money. It was a pretty big budget, over a million dollars. And they shot in Jersey and they got like, you know, I think it was like 30 percent back or something. 
which is like oh. a huge amount to like bring back to your your investors just off the top of the of the movie without even like having sold it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just a way to like get like a little return without having to do anything. I did a quick search, and in California, the there's 330 million dollars set aside for tax incentives for film, which sounds like a lot of money when you think about all of the films that are shot here and the amount of films that are shot in California specifically. It is really not very much money. And as Ulrich said, you need to have a ton of different, you need to meet a a, a lot of different points before you can get any of this money. So you have to shoot over a certain amount. You have to employ a certain amount of people. That money goes very, very quickly here in California. And also, I think, honestly, as Ulrich said, there are other states that offer a lot more. I think Albuquerque, I know, was a big one for a long time in New Mexico. Louisiana, Shreveport was like a go-to place for a good long time. And then, of course, you go international. Canada has got some huge incentives, which is a lot of the times. Yeah. There's the old joke. If you want to meet celebrities in Los Angeles, where do you go? Montreal. Yeah. So that's about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a difficult thing, as, as Ulrich said. If he, although, always look up, as he said, for your state, for your city as well, because there may be some incentives to, to bring filming to wherever it is you happen to be or where you might want to move your production to. Yeah. We, we had a couple of filmmakers on the show f- who, who were Canadians, and they are talking about how hard it is to get the, the money in Canada. You know, like you have to apply and like there's a huge it's like a huge, huge demand for for that state money or the, the, the not state, but the the country's government. fund, the government money. And it just kind of kind of becomes a really hard thing to do. And same for Europe, too. Like there is money set aside for arts in these in these countries, but it's just really challenging. And there was one filmmaker we had on who like did a joint like venture with like four different countries. And so she like shot in two countries, did post in one country and then like hired actors from another country. So like by using people from all these different countries, she was able to like, you know, qualify for tax incentives in each country and gets a little bit of money from each different government. So it's just, it gets really complicated. But yeah, I would say if your movie's under a million dollars, I wouldn't really worry about it too much. (laughs) But if your movie's bigger than that, then like hopefully your producer is plugged in and they know all the best places to get all the best incentives. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. You can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which should be great. We haven't gotten an iTunes review in quite a bit, so it would be awesome to have one of those. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Also, make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers so head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today thanks to abby horton and ryan dickey for coming on the show thanks again to the austin film festival for setting this interview up for us in the first place and introducing us to abby and ryan thanks to our editor jeff reinmuth for doing the editing thanks to robert jones for handling all our social media and thank you eric for producing the show and for being awesome and we'll and thanks to everyone for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week Cut all this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I died, and uh, Ulrich uh, forgot to podcast.